Good morning, church. Glad to see you all out on this beautiful day. Someone made comment about that a moment ago. Isn't it beautiful? My goodness sakes, and then you have all this beautiful countryside. As I was driving in this morning, I thought, wow, how great it must be to be from Wimberley. Um, I want to thank uh, David for, um, for being here last Sunday. He did a great job. I've watched the, I've watched the service two times. Um, he's a great man, great preacher. Uh, six foot three, good looking NFL quarterback. Uh, a bio with all kinds of books and positions and everything else. And I thought, my stars, what, what, a, what a man that must be. And then I watched him on the, on the online. He was just as great as his bio made him sound. A uh, little side, bit of the sidebar. Those of you who've been asking about Linda, uh, she's in Arkansas today with our oldest uh, son. I talked with her last night. She's questioning whether or not she's going to come back. It is beautiful. Right, she's right in the foothills of the Ozarks, and it's beautiful there. Uh, so thank you for asking. I'm feeling a little bit like chopped liver following David in the pulpit and asking you all asking so many questions about my wife. Um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you know, normally as your interim pastor, I would expect to be with you during the challenge of searching for a new pastor. That's enough of a challenge in and of itself. I've heard it explained this way. A church searching for a pastor is like a young mother giving birth to a child. At the moment, it's about all they can handle. So yeah, searching for a pastor is a challenge for you all. But in addition to searching for a pastor, you all have just adopted brand new bylaws. That's church governance. That is a, that's a major thing. And I was here, had the opportunity to be with you here last Sunday night and kind of walk alongside you as you voted those bylaws in. And I know they're going to be wonderful bylaws. I'm going to give you all great leadership in the days and weeks and months and years to come. You handled that well. From what I could tell, it all went very well. Uh, all in all, I would say this. All in all, and I was talking with Buddy just a while ago. All in all, I would say this. First Baptist Church, Wimberley, is a good church. Yeah, there you go. Strong church. A healthy church. We're going to talk more about that this morning here in just a moment. A few years ago, Linda and I visited a large church in North Dallas area. They're so big, they have many campuses. The slogan they have posted on their church signs on their marquee says, One church, many campuses. <laughs> One church, many campuses. Two Sundays ago, we looked at John chapter 13, verse 34, where Jesus gave his church a new commandment to love one another. Now, I'm not going to be critical of today's megachurches, and I'm certainly in favor of church growth, but I don't know, I don't know how folks can love each other if they don't even know each other. It'd be difficult to be in different locations and, and to be in keeping uh, with John chapter 13, 34. Now, I'm, you know, you all may grow into being a mega church here in Wimberley, and I don't want, want you all to look back and say, boy, when Dr. Washburn is here, he's kind of critical of, of growing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I think First Baptist Church Wimberley is just about right, right now. You all know each other. You're involved in each other's lives, and you love each other, and way to go. I'm impressed with you all. You all are a great great church. So this morning, I want us to look 
at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and give some attention to what it means to be a true church. Paul had a great love for the church in Philippi. You're very aware of that if you've gone to any Bible studies at all, which makes these words even more meaningful. Paul begins by telling that great church how often and fervently he prays for them. Then he says this, Philippians chapter 1, beginning verse 9. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. Let me back up and say that again. He's praying that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In these three verses, Paul mentions the basic element that God looks for uh, in a healthy church. By the way, he prays for the same characteristics in Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 9. So apparently, these things that he's mentioning here in Philippians are very important to Paul and therefore very important to our Lord, and we're going to listen to these carefully this morning. Reader's Digest referenced a national survey where people were asked to finish this sentence. For one day, I would like to trade places with, and fill, fill out the blank. For one day, I would like to trade places with, over a thousand people contributed. Of course, there were many noteworthy responses. But one woman responded this way. For one day, I would like to trade places with my husband to see what it's like to live with me. <laughs> so she was interested in whether or not she was doing a good job as a wife. We're all interested to know whether or not we're doing a good job as a spouse. We're interested in whether or not we're doing a good job as an employee, as a parent. But as a church, we're interested in whether or not we're doing a good job in the eyes of the Lord. We're interested in whether or not we're doing a good job as a church. So let's take a few moments, a few moments and see how we measure up according to our Lord. Beginning here in verse 9. A true church is growing in love. Paul begins with this in verse 9. That your love will keep on growing. An atmosphere of love should be First Baptist Church Wimberley's mantra. That should characterize us. When people walk in here... You know, God's led them to your website or God's led them to your Facebook or by word of mouth, somebody says to someone moving into town, you ought to check out First Baptist Church Wimberley. And so they're checking it out. They're trying to be invisible. They're walking in here. They receive a bulletin. They come in and sit down. What is their first impression going to be? What is it they're thinking about First Baptist Church Wimberley? What is our mantra? I remember as a child... And as a teenager, I think you're probably going to be, be able to relate to this too. I remember walking into the homes of my friends, 
for the first time. Now, sometimes as I walked into those homes, into those houses, my first sense was, this is a cold house. There is discord here. There is division here in this house. You know, of course, all houses have financial problems. All houses have health problems, but that's not what I'm talking about. Do you remember as a child or as a teenager walking into a house and thinking, ooh, this house, it's just not comfortable. But then I remember walking into other houses, other homes, and my first impression, the aura that surrounded that home as I walked in was, this is a loving home. You remember that? This is a warm home. The mantra, the personality, the character of this home is, this is a nice place to be. Now, again, that house would have had financial problems. That, that house may have had, had health problems. But, you know, I'd be thinking, laughter lives here in this house. Laughter lives in this home. God has given us, God has given all people a sixth sense to be able to tell the mood, the character, the aura of a house or of a church. So what I'm asking you is, what is what is the first response in people's hearts and people's souls as they walk into First Baptist Church Wimberley? What is it they sense? Do they sense, oh, this is a this is a troubled church? They're, they're having difficulty here. There's division here. There's unrest here. Not talking about bylaws, not talking about finances, not talking about any of those kinds of things. Is their first response going to be, oh, I don't, I just don't, the sixth sense again, I just don't sense this aura of love in this church. Or when they come in here, is their response differently? Can, from the moment they pull up in the parking lot, from the moment they're greeted with your folks out there in the front, from the moment they smell the coffee brewing, which, by the way, I remember that when I walked up. These are good folks. I can smell the coffee. <laughs> I can smell the aroma of coffee wafting over the breeze. You know, when they receive a bulletin from your greeters as they come in, when they walk in and take a seat, what is their response? What is their feeling? Do, they have, do you have an aura of love? And I'm just saying to you, I think you do. I think you do. I think when people come in and sit down here, they're thinking, this is a good place to be. This is a loving place to be. I can just feel it. You know, that young wife turns to the young husband and says, what do you think? Oh, I, I like it. I like it already. I can just tell there's love in this place. That's probably what we're being, what's being talked about here. People sense it, an aura of love. This is a treasured characteristic that I think you all possess, and you need to treasure and foster it at all times in everything you do. You can't lose that. You can't gamble with that. You can't do anything that's going to cause that sense of love that people can sense when they walk in to diminish. You just can't do that. Don't gamble with it. Look at what else Paul says about this love, verse 9. 
that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. This love continues to grow and develop as long as it is provided with knowledge, Paul says, without going into a boring word study of the Greek. Let me just say that the word translated knowledge here does not refer to intellectual or formal education. This is a knowledge that describes personal experience, exposure, absorbing an understanding of God. So our love grows as we personally experience God, and they sense that. And the second ingredient needed for our love, according to the passage, is to grow in discernment. Again, the Greek is boring, but the reference here is to morality. So our love grows as we embrace God's moral standards. Strong temptation today to give in to culture. Strong temptation to yield to culture. Cultural, culture wants to change the moral code God has given us in the Bible. Culture wants us to embrace their moral teachings. We just simply cannot do that. We have to continue to embrace God's moral teachings in Scripture and hold tight to that with a spirit of love, not condemnation, but with a spirit of love. Toe the line. Don't step on the slippery slope. Continue to, one, personally experience God, and two, embrace His moral standards. When we do that, we foster and preserve this loving aura that Paul talks about in Philippi and Colossae, by the way, and in First Baptist Church, Wimberley. True church is growing in love. Here's the second thing. A true church is prioritizing life. Back to the passage here, verse 10. So that you can determine what really matters. It's interesting how Paul says that. What are our priorities as individuals and as a church? What really matters? During the wildfires in California, the raging fire, fires were devouring communities a block at a time. They were exploding into flames. As firefighters evacuated houses in the path of the flames, the residents were given only 15 minutes to grab whatever they were going to take with them. 15 minutes to grab their belongings. What really matters to a person when forced to prioritize things to a 15-minute grab? When a musician grabbed his violin, a golfer grabbed his clubs, a bride-to-be snatched her wedding dress, others wept as they desperately sifted through photographs, wanting to grab those photographs that most captured the memories and the love of their, of their family. One woman grabbed diapers, wipes, and clothes for her three kids, but took nothing for herself in her, in her rush. One woman grabbed her walker, and of all things, a bathrobe, and forgot to grab her medications. Michael Dornback, age 57, died trying to take something he had no time to take. His last words were, I'm not leaving without my pickup. 
All of that's revealing. All of that reflects our choices. A clinical psychologist noted, we're so used to being in control and so accustomed to making decisions all the time, but in situations like these where our lives are reduced to priorities, we don't always react very well. You know, the implication here in the passage we're studying this morning shows us there are things in life that don't matter as much as we think they do. We think these things are important. We assign value to them. But the value we assign to them is inflated. Perhaps we inflate their value because we're so influenced by culture. Culture tells us that certain things are important. And we embrace the values of culture, believing ourselves as they do things are important that are really not. Or it may simply be that status and position and influence are not enough. Maybe it's wealth. Larry Ellison has a net worth of $50 billion. He owns 15 homes and two 150-foot yachts. On the deck of one yacht, he has a basketball court. Sometimes, as he and his son play basketball on the deck of his 150-foot yacht, they miss, and the ball goes into the sea. Not to fear, not to fear, according to the Wall Street Journal, he also has a powerboat boat that follows the yacht to pick up the ball if he misses the goal and it falls into the sea. <laughs> There's no value in wealth. Wealth doesn't matter nearly as much as we think it does. And there are things in life that matter much more than we think they do. Look at what Paul says about why he's praying for the Philippian church the way he is. Verse 10, so that you can determine what really matters. And what does he say really matters? Verse 10, to be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Being pure and blameless in the day of Christ is what Paul says, that's the important thing. That is the most important thing. But oh, how cautious we have to be here. As individuals and as a church, being pure and blameless should not be an important issue. It should be the most important issue in our life. So the question is, is it? In our life of the church, is being pure and blameless the most important issue to us? As individuals, as an individual, is being pure and blameless the most important issue in our lives? Third thing, true church is being filled with the Lord. Verse 11, kind of creeping down our passage here. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Or to say it another way, being filled with Jesus brings forth the fruit of righteousness. That doesn't surprise any of us. This is a common language in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 Paul talks about being filled with Jesus Christ brings forth the fruit 
of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and we so often ignore this last one, (laughs) self-control. Self-control. And then as it relates to and impacts the church family, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 21, Paul says, speaking to one another in spiritual songs, making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always. Oh, here's this last one again. Should I read this? Submitting to one another in fear of Christ. I should just sit down after this. Submitting to one another, yeah, but when, what about when this person says this? What about when this person says that? Submitting to one another, not because we're worth submitting to. That's not the idea. Submitting to one another out of what? Fear of Christ. Fear of Christ. So as individuals and as a church, we want to always be filled with Jesus. Being filled with Jesus is the very thing and the only thing that makes us a child of God. Being filled with Jesus is the very thing and the only thing that makes us a true church. If we don't have it, we're just a religious organization. When an assembly of Christ followers becomes filled with the Spirit of the Lord, we see the same thing happen that happened in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. When an assembly of Christ followers becomes filled with the Spirit of the Lord, we find a true church. A church that is filled with the Spirit of Christ Jesus. And that can be sensed by anyone who walks through the doors. I came across this. Let me just read this to you. Thomas Toole writes this. He's the one who wrote wrote the article. My friend, Dr. Tad Stewart, took a church in Tehran, Iran. He and his family were there during revolution and revolt and riot. The government under the Ayatollah closed his small struggling church. There were very few members, but the government came in, burned all the Bibles in the Sunday school curriculum. Then they took a big padlock and locked the door of the church. They wiped their hands and said, Aha, we have closed Christianity in Iran. Then Tad and his family and his wife opened their small home on Sunday mornings for people to come for worship. Nobody dared to say where they were going, and they came early in the morning while it was still dark. But church attendance grew until it doubled and then tripled. People smuggled in Bibles as if they were pure gold. Tad said when, they, when he opened the Bible and read it, you could have heard a pin drop. The Spirit of the Lord filled that little church. Electricity and faith broke out, and soon that church made an impact all over the city of Tehran, all over the nation of Iran, and even over that part of the Middle East. That's what we're talking about. A true church is a church that is so filled with the presence of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, so guided by the Holy Spirit. The relationships in that church are are so dictated by the presence of the Holy Spirit that people can sense it when they walk in that door. 
a church that is filled with and guided by, possessed by, owned by, guided by the Holy Spirit. That is a true church. In the days and weeks and months and years ahead of First Baptist Church Wimberley, many things are going to come. I pray that this church does experience church growth to a certain extent. But all my prayer, along with Paul, my prayer for the First Baptist Church Wimberley is to be so owned by, so possessed by, so directed by, so controlled by the Spirit of Christ Jesus that the whole Wimberley Valley can see it. Amen. You know what that's going to take? That's going to take individuals who are possessed by the Holy Spirit. If the individuals of First Baptist Church Wimberley are possessed by, owned by, directed by, guided by the Holy Spirit of Christ Jesus himself, then things in this church are going to be fine. So the question becomes, does that describe you? Are you possessed by? Are you owned by? Are you guided and directed by? Is your life dictated by? Are you consumed by the presence of the Holy Spirit of the living Christ Jesus? I pray so.